0: You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP Family Nurse Practitioner Programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years, and right now they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN, and let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's excellent. Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of talking about nursing and healthcare, And of course, I know the real reason you all are here, the true crime story. I know who you people are. I see you. I'm there, too. (laughs) We have a great show planned for you today, though. But before we get started, I do want to introduce my guest host for this week, none other than Nurse Allie from the social media universe. Hey, Allie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's really good to have you. I'm really excited about the stories that we have planned for today. You're a hospice nurse, but you've also been a corrections nurse. And that's definitely going to help us to give us some insight for today's bad nurse story. (laughs) But tell everybody where they can find you and what you do on social media.
1: So I'm at nurse underscore Allie, A-L-L-I-E, because I I like to make things complicated, I guess, by spelling my nickname like that. And I kind of started on social media. Honestly, I started selling bows, but then it turned out when COVID kind of hit, I kind of formed a little group of friends of nurses and physicians and different other medical professionals. And that's kind of where it took off. It, it kind of has been a little bit of like therapy, like group therapy a little bit for all of us on social media. So that's kind of how I got into being like Nurse Allie on social media. I just, just kind of went, went for it and I found a good group of people and We just want to make people laugh because we've all been going through the trenches. So, you know.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. I love what you represent on social media. It's very inclusive of all different types of people. And also, I just love that you're just like, be yourself, be who you want to be. You know, I love the that you posted the other day about filters. If you want to use a filter, use a filter. Don't, de- you know, don't be talk- you know, talking, you know, badly about someone else because they want to use one. If you don't want to use one, don't. If you want to, don't,
1: you know, like just be you. I've seen like 20 videos, like calling out filters. I'm like, who cares? Like, stop, 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 yeah. stop, stop. No, we're not going to do that to people. We're not going to make them feel bad because they want to use a filter because you don't know what's going on behind the camera. Just leave people alone. Let them be. Let them be happy. If that makes them happy, let them be happy. I use them because some days I don't feel like doing my makeup (sighs) and it literally puts on makeup for you. I'm like, yay. That's (laughs) awesome. And there's,
0: yeah, there's no reason in this world of uh, so many things that we could be bringing awareness to, educating people about. I think we can scratch that one off the let's list. Let's
1: just yeah, let's stop making fun of people who use filters cuz p- I feel like people are fishing for compliments that way like, oh, well you look so good without that filter anyway, girl. Like,
0: <laughs> yes. And honestly, we do. I mean, it's it, it's you know, we all do need to be more accepting of whoever we are and whatever we want to be. It just doesn't matter.
1: I feel like in person, we all look so much better, but these cameras are HD. Like they make my skin look like my pores are 20 times bigger than they are in real life on camera. I'm like, this is not what I, this without the filter, I'm like, that's not what I look like in real life. I swear. Like my skin does not look like that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So
0: we just need a little help. Absolutely, he's not in my mind.
1: It doesn't. And some of them
0: are just plain fun. I mean, some of them are just hilarious and fun. And
1: I've been having a lot of fun with the predicting ones. Those are the funniest ones. They predict like your life or things like that, and it's just hilarious. Oh yeah, one today told me that I need to get a pet. Oh, which I have a cat already, because it said it was a love life prediction and it said you need to get a pet.
0: Well, okay.
1: I'm like another cat,
0: <laughs> a kitten. That's fine. That's fine. Well, I I guess we can (laughs) jump right into this bad nurse story. This is going to be a compilation of stories about several incidents that have happened in correction facilities. I told you guys, Allie has been a correction nurse in the past. And so I definitely think this is going to be a learning opportunity for, for some of us. I am excited to have your perspective to help understand how some of these things you know maybe could have happened i try not to judge people too harshly in some of the situations in some of the stories that i do because i know that there are things that go on and things that happen in hospitals that if you don't work in a hospital and you don't work at the bedside, you don't understand you, you do not understand yeah. how in the world it could happen to a really good person a really excellent nurse who's just uh, overwhelmed and has way too much on his or her plate so I want to hear that perspective from you from a, a world of nursing that I've never been privy
1: to. I've never I hope if I can give these nurses some grace, I'll I'll do my best. I'll do my best, but it's not a promise that I can kind of make up for their faults. Well, and that that's the thing I mean and that's part of
0: <laughs> of what we say on here we try to shine a light in the darkness for the there are unfortunately bad apples that get into the nursing field that get into healthcare there are bad things that yep. happen there are bad people or even just good people that that occasionally make a, a mistake or do something that they know Good people turn back. People do. I mean, they really uh,
1: for it, it's I feel like sometimes people get a little bit crunchy. They get a little bit salty. And that's kind of how it goes. And in correctional nursing, it's hard because you're working around a population who might be unsafe for you as, as a person, not always super appreciative of the work you do. You get sworn at. I mean, like every other part of healthcare. But I feel like when you work around a population that's in a place where they really don't want to be like, they really are. And I get it. Like I wouldn't want to be there either. I get why they're angry. Sometimes the nurses can become a little bit of a punching bag. So it makes you a little bit like, why do I do this? And that's, I think when you question that is when you need to step away from that specialty. When you start judging people or you start providing less than the optimal level of care is when you need to step back and say, you know what, I if I can't provide the optimal level of care that they need because I'm bitter about how they treat me, we need to step away and go somewhere else. Find your happy place.
0: Definitely. We all make a commitment to our patients, to the facility that we work for, to ourselves to give that quality health care to all of our patients, regardless of the setting that, you know, we're working in. And sometimes we have to take care of inmates in the hospital. I've taken care of many inmates in the hospital who are handcuffed to the bed with a police officer sitting, you know, beside them. And so you, you have to try to leave your biases at the door. You have to try to give the same care to every patient it's just hard we are human beings and we may start the shift out you know with a with that attitude like i got this i'm yeah. I, I i can i can i can treat this inmate exactly like i treat everyone else or in a corrections facility you may start out your shift saying i'm going to have a good attitude today i'm going to not have any biases and then something happens yeah. you know staffing issues whatever and you just can't do it. But what happens when a nurse completely abandons that principle at all and just doesn't seem to really have any principles or just doesn't care about providing adequate care? I think that we're gonna have maybe some examples of that in some of these stories today. And it's really unfortunate. And and these are some really sad stories. It's very, very sad. So the first one is about Dana Pascua. She was a nurse at Las Colinas uh, detention facility in the suburb of uh, San Diego. And she was responsible for the care of 24-year-old inmate Elisa Cerna. Cerna was suffering from substance use disorder and was having some withdrawal symptoms, including altered mental status, fainting, vomiting, low blood pressure. She was relocated to the medical observation unit after she was complaining of feeling dizzy and nauseous. And there were some reports that she passed out in the presence of this nurse, Pascua. On September eleventh, two 2019 but she did not immediately receive medical attention so there were some surveillance cameras there and their footage shows Pescua walking away from the cell and then the patient or the inmate Serna remained on the floor for approximately an hour before Pescua returned with some deputies then they decided to do life-saving measures but Serna was unresponsive. They were not able to get her back. So now Pesquia faces up to four years in prison if she's convicted of invol- involuntary manslaughter.
1: I'm surprised up to four years because that's that seems obvious to me. There's certain things in a correctional facility that we have to take precautions. Like before we enter a cell, the COs, the correctional officers, enter before us and they secure the inmate. Unless it's a dire emergency, you know what I mean? Someone's bleeding out, things like that. We don't usually wait. And if an inmate passes, if an inmate is already in the health services unit being observed and they pass out and you don't address that, it's neglect, it's abandonment. I don't see how that is something that has to do with the correctional facility. I just think that's poor decision on her part as a nurse to not do that
0: on this podcast i try to give people the benefit of the doubt especially when it's an open case you know they it hasn't gone to trial yet or you know it hasn't been settled as far as i know i you know i I try to uh, withhold judgment as much as possible it is really hard for me to justify the actions of someone who would witness someone fainting and then they would walk away and then come back an hour later
1: you know i'll give her the benefit of the doubt we don't really know like do they have cameras inside the cells usually they don't In the health services, it's usually films the hallway, but you can't legally put a camera on somebody in a cell like all the time. I think they have to get certain permissions for that. Would it be nice? Yes, it would be because you know we have a lot of people who have mental illness, things like that, that would be great to be able to observe them. But it's uh, also because they have human rights. We can't just be like, we're going to watch you because we're scared for you (laughs) as much as we would like to do that. It can be a little, he said, she said when it comes to things, but if an inmate has a complaint and they're already in for monitoring, you need to address the complaint. It's like you're on a unit. You know what I mean? If your patient has a complaint, we're going to address the complaint. You know, I don't know how busy she was, what other things she had going on, but if an inmate physically passed out in front of me, you can't just walk away from it. Even if they came to, you can't just walk away from it.
0: I just wonder, you know, did she think she was... And th- this, I-, I have a feeling this probably maybe happens quite frequently, maybe in, in facilities like this, where there is some acting going on on the part of the inmates, where they're sort of... So maybe she's seen this one too many times. Someone yeah. passing out when they really weren't passing out, and she's sort of gotten numb to that and let that cloud her judgment and how she responded. What
1: I say to that because it does happen. Yes. We do have a lot of people who, you know, we get used to being manipulated and things like that. So it kind of feels like, you know, we always have to keep a little bit of a guard up, but in the same breath, why not just take care of it? Like they aren't because we don't know. We truly don't know. Like we get a lot of inmates who complain of chest pain. That's like their thing because they want to get out of the unit. They want to get out of their cell. It's kind of their way. No physical signs of what we would consider cardiac concern, but we address it as it is real until we know it's not. That's what you do. I always kind of go by the judgment chart in nurse, like you're going to have to read it out loud in a deposition one day because we we also got threatened to get sued a lot. Now, did you cover all your bases? Are you satisfied if that gets read in the courtroom that you did all that you could And I think that also helps with your assessment of patients because knowing you did everything you can is the best that you can do. But knowing you did the bare minimum isn't going to hold up for crap in the courtroom. Good luck with that. No, no. And it's
0: going to be, I would imagine, difficult for jurors. We can try to give her the benefit of the doubt, but a jury... Of people who don't work in hospitals and don't work in correction facilities and aren't healthcare and aren't nurses, I think they're probably going to have an even harder time than us justifying her actions when they see.
1: There might be some pieces of the story missing. We don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. But generally, if someone passes out in front of you, even if you're in public, are you really going to leave that person? You shouldn't. Yeah. If they're under your care as a nurse, hell no. Right. (laughs) Definitely
0: not. So the next story is Brittany Denae Johnson. She was 27 years old at the time that this happened. She was a a licensed vocational nurse at the Bi-State Justice Center Jail in Texarkana. Johnson was assigned to work an overnight shift at the nurse's station on June 30th, 2016. During her shift, an inmate, Morgan Angerbauer, repeatedly asked for medical treatment. Angerbauer was in a medical observation cell approximately 20 feet away from the nurse's station Angerbauer was a diabetic that her blood sugar be checked the nurse johnson refused to provide medical care and her refusal was recorded on surveillance footage and what she said to her was it doesn't work like that and then later on she said that she wouldn't get anything accomplished if she let the inmates determine when he or she was going to receive medical care you know in other words she at the time when this inmate or patient was saying hey I don't feel good I need my blood sugar checked the nurse is looking at it like well it's not time for me to do that I have these other things to do and I have my shift planned out or my med pass or whatever it is that she was doing and she didn't want that to be interrupted probably felt manipulated
1: not med there's not med passes at night or whatever until the morning who knows what in the world I mean
0: that's 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 what
1: this whole story confuses me
0: <laughs> yeah because she requested medical attention for hours before she finally collapsed on the floor in the early morning hours of july the 1st 2016 and the nurse didn't immediately contact paramedics when she found Angerbauer unresponsive instead she attempted to test her blood sugar then and also tried to shove pure sugar into the mouth of an unresponsive patient. It's really hard for me to understand this. It really is.
1: Yeah. A night shift. So she's an LVN. So there was an RN on board as well because they can't, in a correctional facility, they can't work alone. I don't think, I don't know if it's different in Texas, maybe, but so where was the RN too? You know what I mean? Like how, I'm just curious as to how big this facility is, like how many, how many inmates were that was she responsible for? A blood sugar reading like what I know in the facility I worked with, we had med pass like three times a day, like general one. you know and the diabetic line was I think two to three times a day as well. So if a, an inmate's under your care already at the medical services unit, most likely for uncontrolled glucose levels, You know, if they're requesting, and these people uh, know—at least are—you know, I what I would consider unmanaged diabetics—they know when something's wrong. They can kind of sense it. If you've been a diabetic for a while, you know when your blood sugar is lower or higher. Usually, some of them don't, which is scary. Which are the ones we look out for. Some of them can be up in the four hundreds, no symptoms. I'm like, "Are you okay, sir? Are you really okay?" They're like, "I feel fine." I'm like, "Well, it doesn't look like you're fine." my numbers say you're not. So let's put the cinnamon bun down. Okay. Thanks. Because they have cinnamon buns and canteen that are covered with chocolate that are like 800 calories. I had one when I was pregnant while I was there. Wasn't the best, but totally worth it. I can't really see a benefit of the doubt in this perspective. I can't vouch to say that she didn't have much else to do. I don't really know how her facility works, but I can say that a, a blood sugar reading doesn't take that long. It really doesn't. It doesn't. And it could have prevented a death. Like really, it takes two seconds, literally two seconds. Cause you don't even have to cuff them. You don't have to get them in the waist, you know, waist restraints or feet um, shackles. You don't, it's just a wicket. They open, they stick out their finger and that's, there you go. Bing, bing, boom. There's nothing, especially if she's already there for observation, you think you would be more keen to be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, watch over them because that's their job some people you know especially if you hear them shouting from the back like how can you ignore somebody asking for hours and hours like I don't feel good I don't feel good like y- you can't like i I know it sometimes it's hard because you're like I'm not gonna get out on time if I do this or do that but like it's a blood sugar it's a blood sugar you know and now now look at what happened it's not that hard like I had an inmate who had an obvious cellulitis his hand looked like Mickey Mouse. Look, it was so bad, so much so like, oh, so bad. And it was my last med pass of three to eleven. And if I pulled him out, yes, I'm gonna have to call the doc. I'm gonna have to do a ton of paperwork, but at least he's not gonna go septic on my watch because I can start him on Keflex. Like, totally worth it. He was in the health services unit for the night, getting observed by the nurses and bing bing boom, he didn't have to go to the hospital. You know, it's worth it. It's totally worth it to take about like two seconds from your shift just to. Make sure people don't die.
0: Yeah, and it's. It is, I feel the same way. I've not worked in a correctional facility, and I, I'm sure there are probably people listening who are like, "Yeah, I've never worked in a prison before or, or jail," and I haven't. I also know that when I started nursing and started working at the bedside, I also said, "If I ever get to a point that I feel you know jaded, or I start judging people, or I can't you know check my attitude at the door, or I can't." Check my positivity. I, I can't maintain, you know, my pos- positive Pollyanna attitude <laughs> all the time. and But I do try. I, I do love nursing. And I try to be positive around other people and influence other people to continue to love nursing and love what they do and be passionate. I get negative sometimes. I mean, especially with what's been going on the past year and a half. And it's hard. It, it's I mean, after seeing death after death after death or being treated the way we've been treated and disrespected and not appreciated and all of that. But I've told myself a long time ago, and I continue to maintain this, that if I ever get to a point that I'm not able to get myself under control and continue my passion for nursing and my commitment to myself and my patients to keep them safe and keep my license safe, I need to step away. There's other things I can do
1: there's a certain demeanor. Like I worked with a lot of great correctional nurses. You can get certified in correctional nursing, just like with everything else. And that was truly their passion. Like that's what they wanted to do. And I think that, you know, a lot of correctional nurses are new grads, just like in long-term care facility, because that's the kind of places that hire a lot of new grads. And, you know, it might be a little bit of lack of experience uh, coupled with you know, the fact that in a correctional facility, you don't develop the same kind of patient relationship like you do in a hospital or at another bedside job because we can't. They're inmates, you know what I mean? Like it's, you're supposed to be, the term is kind of be a friend, but don't be friendly. You don't do handholding. You don't have that same, maybe in a women's facility, it might be different. I worked in a, a men's prison. So it was a little bit different. It's not the same as how I deal with my hospice patients. Obviously, there's boundaries, there's things that you have to set because people in that in facilities, they try to take advantage of you. And that's when you become a little bit salty, you become a little bit jaded because you feel like everyone's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Cause after about like 20 inmates down the line who threaten to sue you, <laughs> you're kind of like, and you know, being called every name in the book because you don't give someone a band-aid. I, I mean, I know every every That, you know, sector of nursing experiences, it's abuse and things like that. But I think in a correctional facility, it's like it's tenfold. Plus the fact that you're walking by rows of men. Like you don't, the rule is don't turn around, don't bend down. Like we have to watch ourselves because there's people in there who have offended, you know, really, really done really bad things. So you have to be careful with yourself. But you also have to make sure, I think with me, when a medical issue happened, it kind of all of that went out of my mind. All the bad. They you know, anyone has done went out of my mind. And you become that nur- that nurturer that nursing is. So if there's a medical issue happening and you can't regain your nursing composure, like you have to be kind of like the stern sister mother. I like think you're in a, in a prison as well as that nurturer caretaker. And there's a fine line that you have to walk so that they understand that you're not biased against them for where they are or what they've done, but also that you have to set boundaries so they don't take advantage of you. So in a medical emergency or situation like this, I think you have to pull yourself out of that, you know, I'm trying to set boundaries issue and any sort of saltiness that you've felt from the shift and just kind of do your job as a nurse what you're trained to do because if that was in any other facility you would stop and take a blood sugar
0: we'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor you guys a career in nursing is more than just a job it's a lifelong journey of learning and growing and professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career so how about you are you ready to take your career to the next level if so now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing earning your certification is a major professional milestone it's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers hiring managers. Managers and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field. Offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications, whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use?
1: So there's four products, the Roll-On, the Cream, the Salve, and the Oil. The two that I use every day are the Cream and the Oil.
0: What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you?
1: The Cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints. Just my feet feel more comfortable, and the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years, so the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past.
0: I didn't realize that about the feet and. I have plantar fasciitis, so now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a 1000 milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD sat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care, be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse bad nurse. The reason I really was wanting to focus on these stories is I think that you could take these situations and apply them anywhere in nursing because I think we can sort of get jaded anywhere. We can get tired of being treated and disrespected in any setting. And definitely cautionary tale for corrections nurses, but for all across the board, when you're working with patients to be careful of our biases and be careful that we're the, the, the walls that we're putting up to keep our to protect ourselves from, you know, to allow ourselves to be professionals, those walls, you can't allow that to be a barrier between you and providing good care to your patient if you put up a wall that says oh, i just don't care about this person and it, then you walk away from it uh, we have to have some somewhat of a barrier between us and the patient to protect ourselves you can't you know like you said you have to have boundaries
1: because i mean in the er or the ed especially to like people they say people come in for silly things and things like that and whatever but it's like you never know what's silly to a person or what's serious to them. Like it may seem silly to you because you deal with such traumatic stuff all the time. And I get it. But something might be really concerning to a person. Might not seem concerning for you because you see like limbs being amputated. But like to them, it might be an actual emergency. So like just be, you know, be more mindful of other people and how they might perceive things. Because I think, you know, we do get jaded in this field because we've seen a lot but the public hasn't. They don't know what's going on. They don't have the knowledge behind what might be happening. And I think even as nurses, sometimes we can be our own worst enemy because we know enough that we can think of the worst.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't mean that we know everything. And I did see a post one time on social media that an emergency room nurse put on that said, a kidney stone is not an emergency.
1: That is not Oh, I've called an ambulance for a kidney stone before. It hurt like hell.
0: Yeah. And I think the comment was that, you know, just because you're in pain doesn't mean it's an emergency. And I just want to just be like, did you learn about the same kidney process that I did? Because um, there are things that can happen to you if you have an obstruction. You can get hydronephrosis. You could literally lose your kidneys. And I got a kidney stone, a seven millimeter, ki- millimeter kidney stone. I had to go to the emergency room. the last thing in the world I would ever want to do is go to the emergency room. I just don't want to be there. The
1: pain is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It was, that's one thing that will make me go to the emergency room. I've never felt a pain like a kidney stone. I'm like, I've had contractions before. And this was like, my whole stomach was on fire. Like my back Oh my God! Not All to set. mention the fact that you don't know that it's a kidney stone, and right because if it's the first time you've had it too, you're like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I'm burning
0: from the inside. <laughs> I mean, I was having right lower quadrant pain because that's where my kidney stone would, you know, it decided to lodge itself. That could have very well been appendicitis, a ruptured appendix. I mean,
1: that's it's it. I, I really get frustrated sometimes. Like, do they expect people to self-diagnose themselves at home? Be like, it is for sure this. I don't need to go out of the emergency room. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Just that's why the emergency room is there. It's because people think it's an emergency. Right. It's not there for you to dictate if it is or not.
0: Mm-hmm. So you come in, you know, anything to be concerned about, you send them home. Or like me, yep. I can be show happy up that you had an pain. easy patient. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was rushed to
1: surgery and they re- literally removed it surgically. So But I heard an emergency room nurse, she said, I'd rather have my patients come in walking than have them wait and come in on a stretcher. And I said, that's very good point because same, <laughs> same.
0: <laughs> and you know, there are some certain conditions that I don't care if it's in the middle of the day, your primary care provider is not going to see you about it. They're going to be like, um, I can't do anything about that. Go to the ER. Yeah. That, right. That's yeah. just the way that, it is.
1: That happens a lot in the correctional facilities because they're very kind of stamped for what they can do. Like, It depends. I know in California, they have some great correctional facilities in California, like high tech, good stuff. But like where I work, we didn't do IVs. Like even if you had a DNR, DNI, like a most in place or whatever, we, you don't get it respected by the correctional facility. They've changed that now, but because you become an inmate, you're almost like, I wouldn't say property of the state, but we're responsible for your life. So like, if we let you die, it's on us, you know what I mean? So like, the paramedics can pronounce you, but we cannot let you die if you have a molst in place. There weren't, I think there was like one or two inmates out of the whole group of them that had a molst in place. And I think that decision has been reversed, but it's interesting. I'd be curious to see how many other states still have that ruling that once you're in prison, you no longer have your act of molst in, in place until you're out of the facility. Because technically, we can't pronounce in prison either.
0: Well, technically, here, I think the, I don't know if it's different facility to facility, but I know that s- most of the facilities that I've worked at, you can't go into surgery as a DNR, DNI, uh, for one thing, they end up intubating, they will intubate you, you know, in order to sedate you, but also they are not going to let you die in surgery. So, right. Exactly. Cause there's no point.
1: Yeah. Why are we going to have surgery if you're going to just die again?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and they don't want you dying during surgery. They certainly don't want to, that happening so they're going to do everything they can so this next story is very disturbing uh, all of these stories are disturbing it's very difficult to understand carmen brandon was a registered nurse and the highest ranking medical authority at george county regional correction facility she was reported as sometimes canceling doctor's appointments that her coworker scheduled for inmates so when her actions were made known to the warden he reprimanded her and so a nurse that worked under her supervision verbalized that Brennan did not agree with her supervisor's directive to stop canceling appointments. And apparently she said, everybody doesn't need to go to the doctor. They weren't seeing the doctor in the free world. They weren't taking care of themselves. So they don't need to see, you know, doctors while they're in here. She also had a history of refusing prescribed medications to inmates with the belief that the in, if the inmate wasn't using the medicine in the quote free world, and. He or she didn't need to use it while they were incarcerated.
1: So she wasted meds essentially for her own beliefs. Cool. Like, why? Why would you do that? I mean, there's certain instances where like if an inmate comes in late, if it's not an emergency, like we will order emergency meds, like HIV meds, seizure meds. Those are all emergency meds. And we keep meds on stock too. We have a stock of meds, especially antibiotics, seizure meds. We have all the HIV meds in, in stock so that if an inmate needs them, we have them. But you, I don't understand how she was even allowed to cancel a doctor's appointment as a registered nurse. It, you know what I mean? Without somebody's permission. Like, where were the physicians in, at this point?
0: So it almost makes me wonder was she like, and I don't know what the different. Levels of the staff are you know in in correction facilities, but is she like the equivalent of like a nurse manager making the decisions for the unit, or like a DON or
1: something Something, like that? Maybe right. That's what I'm wondering. Because like it is weird though, because like after a while, you think the medical director might be like, "What happened to all my doctor's appointments? Where are the refusals?" Because you would need an inmate refusal to cancel a doctor's appointment without you can just without their permit. Because it can take a while to go see the doc in some facilities. You know what I mean? Like we depending on the issue, if it's like a severe issue, they'll triage them and they'll be seen sooner. But if it's like, you know, hey, I have a hangnail or something like that. (laughs) It's still. You know what I mean? Like I just don't don't understand where the system kind of failed there and didn't flag like why aren't these inmates being seen? Kind of. you know what i mean and it did
0: seem to flag it because the warden reprimanded her but then it looks like she just continued to have that that attitude because on september 17th in 2014 joel dixon was arrested on a dui possession of controlled substance and some other charges and he was type 1 diabetic he had been diagnosed as a teenager According to his mother, he regulated his blood sugar by calculating the amount of insulin he needed based on the amount of carbs he consumed. Most type 1 diabetics are very good at knowing their bodies, especially for someone who is suffering from some type of, if he is, you know, substance use disorder. Just because someone has illegal substances doesn't mean that they're necessarily, that they have the disorder. You know, some people choose to take illegal substances and they're not necessarily addicted. They're just, they just want to.
1: Right. Addiction is a completely different thing than that yeah he apparently was
0: in control of his blood sugar and and what he needed to do to manage his diabetes so after he's incarcerated his mother provided his insulin and diabetic supplies to the correctional facility but it's not clear as to whether she specifically informed the staff that he was a type 1 diabetic i think i did this story this is sounding really familiar i know i did a story about a, t- a type 1 diabetic several years ago But it was the one nurse as opposed to all of the different ones. So we'll just revisit this one unless this happened again, which sadly it very well could have. It could. So Brennan advised her subordinate that Dixon refused to take his insulin and he had signed a refusal form. The subordinate recalled seeing the refusal form, the form was unable to be located later. So over the course of a week, yeah, Dixon collapsed many times. He reportedly informed the correction staff of various ailments, like feeling weak and being unable to eat anything. Officers summoned the attention of Brennan on each occasion, but Brennan dismissed Dixon's concerns as. Why is he the only nurse? Yeah, really.
1: Like, Where's everybody else? Where
0: is everyone? So, this nurse just said, "This is these are symptoms of drug withdrawal." Dixon attested that he had been to rehab before, and that what he was experiencing was not the same as detox. She said that he was feeling poorly because he had not been taking his insulin. So they're ba- they're back and forth. Okay, I can just imagine this conversation where the patient is going, "Look, I need my blood sugar taken, something is wrong, I'm not feeling well." And she is saying, "He's just detoxing. He takes he takes drugs. He's been here for several days." So,
1: but "CYA," you know what I mean? "Where are the recorded blood sugars then?" "None. There are none."
0: Yikes. then she's saying you didn't even you refused your blood, your insulin you didn't even want your insulin and he so said, why didn't you
1: take the blood sugar though you still could have taken blood sugar even if you're exactly the insulin.
0: but he's saying look i can't keep any food or drink down i'm not going to take insulin he has enough sense to know that if if he's not if he doesn't gonna
1: tank right yeah she did
0: make a note of his vitals every time she encountered him but his blood sugar was only checked one time Apparently that one blood sugar that they took was fine. His condition worsened to the point that he was no longer able to stand or dress himself. Officers continued to tell her about this, but she kept saying he's a drug addict, probably going through withdrawals.
1: But even if he was and he was getting to that point where he was declining that should have been a flag as well. Versus if he's on a detox regimen, he should be on the uptake. You know what I mean? Not the decline.
0: What is really disturbing about this, the whole thing is disturbing, but a patient going through withdrawal symptoms is also at risk for dying because that is a very serious thing. If you're going through, if you're symptomatic and you're withdrawing, from yeah, he should have anything. been in the health
1: services yes. unit, period. Usually if we had a, an inmate who was symptomatic, you know, some of them are, they can walk about, be themselves detoxing. We let them out and GP. But if they're symptomatic, they're having a rough time, like alcohol withdrawal, so rough. Mm-hmm. It's rough. It's one of the harder ones that I've seen. We'll keep them out back, you know, just to be safe. It doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like... Better safe than sorry. That's for sure. Like in these cases.
0: Well, her coworkers kept trying to bring to her attention the fact that he wasn't doing well. He wasn't feeling well. She just said, I don't want to hear anything else about it. That was what she told them.
1: They can call. I mean, if I, on, all we had to do was call the doctor on our shifts and be like, yo, this guy's not feeling well. I wouldn't say, yo, I would say doc, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) Mm -hmm. and, you know, get him sent out. We don't need to go through our nurse manager. We don't need to go through the DON. We just let her know. We're sending this guy out, whatever. You know, we've sent them out for whatever we need to. If we cannot stabilize them in the prison, you send them out. You don't, I don't know why. I feel like their their whole system is kind of screwed up if you have to go through her in order to ensure, Because all their licenses, I mean, yes, they did everything that they could, but could they have overstepped her and done something else?
0: Maybe. At nearly half past eight on September 24th, Brennan, the the nurse that we're talking about, glanced inside the window of his cell, uh, Dixon, the inmate, but didn't stop because, quote, she didn't have time for him. She did glance and you can see her on footage glancing inside there. A couple of hours later, officers found Dixon deceased in his cell. Forensic pathologists determined his cause of death to be diabetic ketoacidosis. Brennan was convicted of manslaughter and has attempted to appeal the decision, but to no avail.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just don't see how, from what I know is we had four nurses on, usually overnight it was two, but like, it seemed like, why was she the only go-to person in this whole situation? Like why, where was the medical director? I would have, I would have as a nurse gone around and snuck into my medical director's office and be like, Hey, we got this inmate that's like not doing well. And like, we need help. We need an SOS here.
0: Yeah. and You then- know what I mean? exactly and there was another inmate in uh, muskegon county jail in michigan of 2019 he had been on clonopin, and apparently they didn't give benzos at this facility so he started withdrawing started having seizures again another situation where the nurse just assumed it was fake and allowed they should have refused him
1: Mm -hmm. they should have refused him
0: instead he just continued to have seizures and then passed away because of status uh, epilepticus
1: I'm just wondering if he was taken off the street and brought into the hospital first, and they allowed him to, they discharged him to a correctional facility knowing he was detoxing from benzos. That's weird. I mean, that's kind of on them as well. Like, why would you let him go to a place where they, I mean, maybe they didn't know, but we do have to do a handoff if we're getting an inmate from a hospital. We want report and things like that. So they understand, like, if they're prescribing a step-down of benzos to detox him and we tell them we don't carry them, like we did, but I guess they don't, why are you gonna discharge him still to the facility if they can't keep up the med- the regimen that he needs to be stable?
0: Absolutely, and I just want, you know, before we uh, just wrap this up uh, about the this bad nurse story, I want to just remind everybody that as you're doing your job and you're charged with caring for whatever patients you're caring for in whatever facility, to just always remember to take the very, take your job and responsibility very seriously and do the very best you can to follow up on any complaints or any symptoms or signs. And it's your responsibility to do that as a person, just as a human being, to do that for another human being. But it's also your license is on the line and possibly your freedom to see some of these people are in prison because of it.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is it's not our job as correctional nurses to judge them. They've had their judgment we're responsible for their healthcare, their well-being. They've they've met their maker. That's not our our job to judge. You know, they can be the crappiest person in the world. That's fine. They can do a heinous crime, but our responsibility is is a nurse to provide care.
0: So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital we're at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. And use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. Our good nurse story for this week is a congresswoman, another nurse who is ser- serving our Congress right now. And I'm really excited about this. I just got to go to Washington, DC for a concert. And while, while I was there, I just am always in awe of the buildings of our government. And so this is Lauren Underwood. She serves in the Illinois' 14th congressional district she's the first woman first person of color and the first millennial to represent her community i know in congress she's a graduate of the university of michigan and johns hopkins university so impressive she's a registered nurse and health policy expert she serves on the health committee house committee on veterans affairs and the house committee on appropriations oh man she uh, co-founded and co-chairs black maternal health caucus the black maternal health caucus endeavors to end disparities and improve maternal health outcomes i've we've talked about that a lot on this podcast about the disparities that are out there for women of color and then as a senior advisor to the at the us department of health and human services under the obama administration she helped communities across the country prevent, prepare for, and respond to public health emergencies, disasters, and bioterror threats. She also helped implement the Affordable Care Act by broadening access for those on Medicare, improving health care quality, and reforming private insurance.
1: So basically, what, what hasn't she done in terms of health care and, and providing and improving? She's covered all of the bases, women, people of color, veterans you know, minority, whatever minority, she's done it all. She's she's done it all. Emergencies, disasters, bioterror threats. But, I mean, she's done a lot because as we know in this country, when it comes to black maternal health care, we we fail them in this country. Statistically we can see that. And so I love that she's a registered nurse and she's bringing light to all of these things that, and, you know, I love that she has a soft spot for veterans because Lord knows as a hospice nurse, so do I. I love all my veterans. They're the most cute and cuddliest things in the world. Sometimes. They're very, they're very sweet. But she is, a, if you look, really look into her, all of the things that she's done, all the money she's raised to improve healthcare for minorities, specific black and Hispanic communities, because those are the most underserved population, which is crazy to think in the United States of America in 2021, it's still that way and that we're still negating women's health. Like I I believe it was Serena Williams. She has a history of blood clots. I don't know if you heard that story, but she was complaining about a blood clot. I believe this is while she was pregnant. And they just kind of pushed it off as, I, I believe, anxiety or something like that. She ended up having a, a, a DVT. Yeah, she had a history of it. She had a history of it. I don't know if it's from playing sports or whatever, but yeah, it is. And to think somebody of that caliber too, you know what I mean? Like wouldn't get, the most you would think, well, she has money. She must get all the great health care. No, she still went through it. She still because went through it.
0: Money doesn't really do anything to remove those biases that are there. We talked about this before, the biases that are there. And sometimes in, in us that we don't even realize are there. And they, those exist in every one of us. We all have those. And so health care providers, no matter who you are, whether you're doctors, nurses, anyone, we have to check those
1: all the time, constantly. I don't want to say like, don't treat... Colorblind, like you shouldn't be treating colorblind, but at the same time, you need to be aware that people of color also present differently in certain clinical situations as well. And you're really doing them a disparity by not acknowledging that. You know what I mean? And not updating yourself on the best evidence based practices for people of color and Hispanic and other. Nationalities and ethnicities, because they do present differently with certain things. They do react differently to certain therapies. And we need to be aware of that. And, you know, like you said, our biases also need to be in check because if it was me, if that was my patient, maybe it's because I am who I am. I wouldn't just diagnose it as anxiety because I do have anxiety myself, you know. And yes, it does lead to physical symptoms. So even if it is anxiety, it can still play out as physical as physical symptoms that can make you ill. So just check all your boxes. Make sure your patients always treat for the worst. Hopefully, just hope for the best, but assume that it could be the worst as to what they're saying. And these patients know their bodies. Like I say, they've had their body longer than I've known it. So <laughs> I'm not going to assume I know better than them until the tests come back. You know what I mean? And we get them stable and we get them happy and comfy. And then you know, I can move on with my life.
0: <laughs> well, Allie, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. It's, this has been a great episode. I think I've learned a lot. I hope that our listeners have, have learned a lot too. I know they have. And I just really appreciate you.
1: I appreciate being on here. I love that it was it aligned, the stories aligned with my past experience from being in correction. I learned a lot from you know, working with inmates, they for sure gave me a great basis to my nursing career, med knowledge. I learned a lot for sure. Every medication in the book, I've learned, and you know, you learn that at some day, sometime, you could also be in their shoes. All it takes is one one wrong thing. I, what I say is, there they might be bad people to society, but they're not all bad people. They might have just done something wrong once, and that and was they it.
0: Could be wrongfully accused. There's plenty exactly. of those we've talked about here too. Yep.
1: And yeah, or there's people a lot who, of wrongfully accused people who suffer from addiction that probably shouldn't be in jail, but should be in a mental health facility or a detox facility. And
0: mental health disorders, absolutely,
1: a hundred percent. They go hand in hand, but the prison is not going to be the place where we we solve their issues. We need lower recidivism rates in this country, in comparison to other developed com- countries. We have a really high recidivism rate, and it's not not something we should be proud of. We need to have better systems to keep them out and get them on with their lives and building their lives so that we don't we don't want them back in prison at least i don't i'm like i hope when they say i'm leaving i go i hope i never have to see you again and i mean that in the best way possible
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well you guys if you have any requests or you want to send me your stories you can do that at tina at gunnersbenders.com you can find us at com, and we're on all the social media sites of course somewhere out there and love to hear from you guys hey by the way our patreon account is the special account you can access from our website for five dollars a month and you'll get access to all of our archived episodes plus bonus content and you'll be helping us to cover some of the production costs so we can keep bringing new episodes each week all the podcon recordings are on there including videos from the podcon we also have the first couple of episodes from our ccrn study guide videos those are pretty cool so go check that out at goodnursebadnurse.com and see what you think And I also want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.
1: Yes, 100%. (laughs) Always,
0: always.